So one of the challenges that governments are facing in the pandemic is delivering services and care to people. And the problem isn't primarily money or infrastructure. The problem is that there's just not enough trained, or in some cases, willing people. The WA government has actually poured millions in extra funding into nurses and doctors, but there just aren't enough nurses and doctors to fill the positions. Uh, A friend of my parents owns an orchard up in the hills, and he was just uh, telling uh, my stepdad the other day that uh, he's keeping two two of his peach trees the water on, the rest he's going to let die because he can't get anyone to pick the fruit. Now, of course, much of this is because of the hard border, but nevertheless, it's an issue. There just aren't the people there to do the jobs that need doing. Very often, the church runs into a people resources problem as well. There's more ministry than there are people to do the work. You may well have, in, in your life, thought, wouldn't it be great if we could do X and maybe a pastor, because I've done this, and say, okay, great, who's going to do it? Part of the problem is that sometimes there are warm bodies available, but, you know, there are things we do that we don't want just anyone to do, or, in fact, sometimes it just anyone doesn't want to do. So fruit picking, there's lots of unemployed people, but they're not where the fruit is and who wants to go to all the expense of moving for a seasonal job and then having to move back and all that sort of thing. Or in the case of medicine, you actually want a qualified doctor working on you and preferably one who's a little bit passionate about medicine. So the tensions we have. People in the church make ministry happen. And here's the thing, God has called us to do something in his kingdom, each one of us. Uh, The key is to find out what that thing is. So Paul speaks in this passage about the grace that has been given to him. He says, for by the grace given to me. And at the beginning of this letter to the Romans, he identifies the grace with his apostolic commission. And he speaks here with the authority of someone who has been commissioned by Christ, by the grace given to me, the grace of apostleship and all the authority that comes with that. Now, that might seem a little bit heavy handed. It's almost like I'm the boss will do what I say. It's not quite like that. But, you know, there are times in Paul's letters where he does differentiate between now I am speaking as an apostle and I bring the authority of an apostle. And there are other times he says, look, I don't actually have a word from the Lord, but here's my opinion, which still carries weight as an opinion, but it's not as binding. And here's what his authoritative word is to the church. Be humble. Don't you love it? By the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should. Be humble. Think sensibly about yourself in proportion to the measure of faith that God has given you. So what does the measure of faith mean here? And there are two actually equal possibilities and keener minds than mine are divided over it. I read a number of commentaries and... They all had equally good 
arguments and recognise the other arguments. One possibility is that Paul is talking about the Christian faith that we all have, if we're a Christian, that we are saved by faith. And uh, in this case, what he's talking about is not the measure of faith we have is not different kinds of faith or different measures of faith, but that we've all been given the same faith and the point would be we're all equal before the Lord. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought because we have been given the same measure of faith. And this fits with Paul's exhortation to humility and unity. The other possibility is that Paul is talking about a measure of faith given to each each person for the exercise of ministry. And this fits in, I think it fits better with the context than what he's about to talk about. This is how he talks about the gifts in general. And he talks about his own gift of grace that he was given. I was given this grace for apostleship. And he says in verse 6, According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. So we're given different gifts of grace. There's a differentiation here in some way, which is not a differentiation of worth or value or anything like that, but of tasks given to us. And he says that we're given different gifts of grace and we should use them in proportion to our faith. So here he would not be talking about saving faith or even the faith handed down to us. We have to pass out the word in its contact. Sometimes faith means that trust in God. Sometimes faith means the sort of body of doctrine, the, what we believe as Christians, the faith. So it's not in these senses he's talking, but that faith that God has given each of us to step out into the ministry that he has for us. Have you ever noticed how how different people will have a different level of confidence, a different faith to step into different tasks? This happens in just the normal world, but certainly in ministry as well. So people often talk to me. I do a lot of funerals for people who don't know it, and obviously I I preach most weeks. People often tell me I couldn't preach or I couldn't do a funeral. I I just could not do that. For me, it's just... Routine. God has given me a grace for that. On the other hand, Carol's not here today, but you, you look at Carol Bazan and she is a gun with organising things, the complex catering operations. Few heads nodding who, who know have probably been blessed by that. And I'm personally a little bit in awe of what she can pull off. I can organise things, but not like she does. We have faith and grace for different tasks. Now, at a human level, we might look at that and just think, well, that's just self-confidence. And there's an element of that. But the faith mentioned here is actually faith in God. Faith that God has done this to me or in me. It's a faith that he has called us, that he has called me, that he has called you, and that he will use you when you step into the ministry that he has for you. And it's this confidence in him that gives us the boldness to step out, even when we don't feel the resources within ourselves, even when we're not quite sure 
what's going to happen here or how this is going to happen. It's a sort of uh, confidence we have to have. Every time someone comes to me and says, would you pray for me? I'm like, that's an exercise in faith because I got nothing. <laughs> you know, what do we have when we pray for We're asking God to intervene. That's an exercise of faith. And some people have more faith for it than others. <clears throat> if you've read uh, some of Paul's letters, you'll be familiar with the language he uses in verse four, verses 4 and 5. And uh, look, this is in the church app, of course, if you want to follow along the notes. Uh, and the Bible reading. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So he's talking about this body language. We are Christ's body. And as a result, like the parts of a human body, we don't belong to ourselves, but we belong to each other. So, thinking about my body parts, my hand does not exist for itself. Its purpose is not, can't actually do much for itself. It's a tool and it manipulates tools and does other things. Anyway, if my hand was severed, I'd miss it, obviously. But my body would cope, I'd compensate. But my hand, on the other hand, uh, on the other hand, would cease to have any purpose. It would, apart from withering and dying, it couldn't do anything, uh, and, and what it could do would be pointless because it doesn't exist for itself. It exists for and as a part of the body, and it's the same way for us in Christ's body. We exist for and as part of Christ's body, first of all for Christ himself, but then one another. So what does that mean for us here? Well, Paul says we have different gifts according to the grace given to us for the benefit of Christ's body, the church. You know, I believe that one of the most important things we can do in life is to find out what it is we're actually good at. Because when we find out what we're good at, that's Part is not the whole, but it's part of discovering our purpose and bringing blessing to others. Okay, because here's the thing when you try to do something you're not good at, when you don't operate in your gifting, when you operate in outside that, very often it leads to huge discouragement. So I have a confession I can't hang anything straight. Literally. So when we moved into our house, not long after that, I tried to hang a bathroom medicine cabinet. I pulled out the spirit level. I had measuring tapes. I drilled those holes and bang, it is crooked to this day. Then just the other day, I went and tried to put up a coat um, hooks, you know, the ones on the strip of timber you can get from like Bunnings, you put it up there spirit level measuring tape it's a good thing it's out of sight when Andrea came in and pointed out, hey that's not straight was not one of my finest moments it's discouraging, I'm just like I just should not be touching anything practical 
But when we do something we're good at, boom, there's just this, this satisfaction. You know, you do, I'm like, I could do that again. And in fact, probably more importantly, other people could have you do that again because you have brought a blessing to them. So what we're looking for when we're looking at ministry is finding a sweet spot between our gifting, what God has made us, us good at. And people will say, well, is it a spiritual gift? Is it a natural talent? Is it whatever? I don't know. Just find what you're good at. So we want to find the sweet spot between our gifting, between people's needs, because we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for others. What is it that others need that I can bring? There will be things that people need. I'm probably not the best person to help that need. But there will be other needs that I can bring something to that. But then God's calling on our lives as well. Because, you know, how many needs are there? There's an infinite number of needs out there. There's what? how many? Seven, eight billion people on the planet. That's how many needs are out there. I can't meet them all. What is it that God is calling me to do that he has gifted me to do and where the need is. And when we find that sweet spot, we're finding our purpose. And this is really important because the church, the body of Christ, we exist for one another. The church needs what you've got. Now, I want you to sit on that for a minute and turn it around like this. Say this out loud or in your head. The church needs what I have. The church needs the gifting that God has put inside of me. Okay? I am talking to you, the person out there who's thinking, I've got nothing. I haven't got anything to contribute to the church. What, what am I good at? I don't know. But God has given you something. You are his child. If you're a Christian, you have his spirit. He has put a deposit of something in there and you may think well it's not very much this isn't worth a lot but I can do I, I don't know I can do this you know people you, you might think out there serving in the kitchen well, it's not much or greeting on the door it's, it's not much do you know how long people hang around we, we've been trying to keep our services a little shorter uh, a couple of weeks ago there were people hanging around after the service longer than the service went for the little things you do actually matter and blesses the body. Maybe you can't help them. I don't know. There's, there's all sorts of... We're going to look next week at this list of gifts and, and, and there's a big picture of each one and then there's a little picture of what does this mean for actually me? What's, what's the nuance? What's the flavour I bring to it? The church needs what God has put in you. So there's a great satisfaction. God has actually wired us to work. The value of your work that you do Monday to Friday or whatever is not only in the finances it brings into your home, it's in the sense of purpose that it brings you. And it's the same way in the church with the ministries. There's satisfaction when you move in your gifting. But again, it's not actually about you. It's about those who serve. And most of all, it's about the glory 
we bring to God and the pleasure that he takes when he sees his children working like this. As we do with those of us who are parents, when we see our children discovering what they're good at and blessing others people and making the world a better place through it, it brings us great satisfaction and joy. And so it is with our Heavenly Father when he sees us unlocking those things he's put inside of us. And yet many people are reluctant to serve. Why is that? Why don't we step up more? And there are all sorts of reasons, of course, and some of them are very legitimate reasons. And I know some of you are going through seasons of life, parenthood, aging parents, whatever it is, and it's like, I've I, I got nothing left to give at the moment because stuff's happening. And that's actually perfectly legitimate. You have to be aware of those seasons of life. It is just a season. It will pass. Maybe it is sickness or, or something more debilitating than that. And then, you know, our, we have satisfaction and we have something for people, but our value and our worth is not in what I, we do. So if you're like, I can't actually do much because I actually have an impediment, your value, your worth is not in that. Your value is that you are made in God's image, that you're his creation and that you're precious to him, even if you do nothing with your life. But for most of us, he's given us something to do. So what is it that stops us from stepping up? Sometimes, frankly, it's spiritual laziness. We just don't want to put the effort into what we know it's going to cost us the things we're going to have to give up in order to do what it is he's called us to do. But very often, I think it's also a lack of confidence. We don't move in the faith God has given us, which is almost an oxymoron. Faith is trusting God, but we have a measure of faith, but I'm not moving in that. What what does that say? This is certainly something I've experienced, I have to tell you. For those who, who don't know, uh, my wife, um, my and my wife Andrea's story, uh, we met when we were missionaries on a ship called the Doulos. And one of the important roles on the ship was what we called the advanced uh, preparation teams, or we just called it lineup. And the lineup team would go to the ports we were going to visit, often some months uh, in advance of us getting there. And they would organise everything from, you know, docking permissions and trying to get discounts on everything uh, because we, we had no money. Um, they'd organise uh, partner churches and visas and advertise events and just everything to make the trip go smoothly. And one day my country leader uh, from Australia, obviously, came and visited the ship and he basically challenged me. He said, you should be considering lineup, going on lineup. And he had this big spiel about digging deep and all this sort of stuff. He obviously saw something in me and saw this as a great growth opportunity. And it really would have been. But whatever Rod saw in me, to my eternal regret, I didn't see it. And I chickened out. And although I came up with lots of excuses, it was a chicken out. It was a lack of faith and an abundance of fear. I saw my own inadequacies, my own inexperience. I'm going to stuff this up. I did not see or hear God saying, 
I've actually got this. You can go and do this because I'm with you. Apart from just the normal things that happen when we learn new skills, it's a stretch, but, but we grow. I regret that. Now, I did score a wonderful wife out of that experience, which I don't regret, but I'm sure God could have organised that either way if I had gone online up to Look, I actually still struggle with a lot of insecurity and I'm sure there are, if I stopped and thought about it too hard, which I don't like to do, that there are plenty of other opportunities that I've missed along the way as well because I gave in to fear rather than faith. Life is a process of overcoming those fears uh, and those insecurities. It's a, it's a process of taking risks. You know what? I've become really, really tired of here. And I understand why it is. So it's not actually a criticism, but it is my own internal reaction. Every time, and, you know, forgive me, again, not a criticism of Mark McGowan, but every time he says, this is safe. It's all about safe, 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 safe. I'm tired of safe. We're not built for safe. We're built for adventure. Now, I understand there's a pandemic and that sort of thing, and he's, he's right in doing that, but I'm just tired of that messaging. Is this what we've been reduced to as a culture in this season, and we can't see beyond that? God wants to take us on an adventure. He wants us to step out in faith. We're going to look at some of the giftings next week and what that means, because some of these, as you'll read this list, you'll think, well, that's very mundane, and some of them are definitely not very mundane. And this isn't the only gift of list, the list of gifts either. But faith. God wants to, he has put a deposit of faith in us by his spirit. And he wants to ignite that in us. Sometimes, so sometimes it's fear. Sometimes we don't move out because we don't really see the opportunity. Or we want to step and you know, line-up seemed too big a step for me at that stage. Well, what are smaller steps that we can take? Well, one of, one of the areas, we're launching our small group, our discipleship, group, discipleship groups, and they actually form a great place where we can step out in some of these ministries. Paul mentions in this list and again, we'll look at these in more details next week. He talks about prophecy. And he uh, talks about exhortation. So here's a question for you. When do you get a chance in church to exercise the gift of prophecy? Oh, well, hang on. Okay, I'm, I'm not getting into a debate about prophecy. But look, the reality is we don't have a lot of space in a public service like this at creates all sorts of complexities. I've been in Pentecostal churches where they have this and believe me, it creates complexities if you just have an open slapper. But discipleship groups, small groups, can be a really safe place where we can start to exercise some of these gifts and not some of these more, you know, uh, out there gifts, but smaller ones as well. What about the gift of mercy? If you've got a gift of mercy... How can I care for people 
Well, you can certainly, as a starting point, care for people in your small group. Now, if you've got a real gift of mercy and more capacity, you're going to want to go way, way beyond that. So it's not a finishing place, but it can be a starting place. And because we're calling them discipleship groups because we want to be people who are shaped in the image of Jesus and part of the image of Jesus, Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve, serving one another and those outside the church as well, is part of being shaped into the image of Jesus. And so our discipleship groups, if it's going to form disciples, needs to be places where we can serve one another. So it's not just a, when we talk about them, this is why I've named them discipleship groups. They're not just Bible studies. There is Bible study in them. They're not just fellowship groups. There is fellowship in them. It's discipleship. It's holistic formation into the image of Jesus. So here's the thing. God has given you a grace to serve. And if you're struggling to really receive that word today, please go home and sit on it. Sit on these. God has given you a measure of faith. And you might think it's only small. We'll go with that. Jesus said faith as small as a mustard seed has atomic power. If all you've got is mustard seed faith, go with that. You have a gift that is activated by faith that lifts you up, that you are encouraged. See, this is a great thing. When I was growing up, it was sort of, uh, if I like doing it, it's probably not something God wants me to do because we just had this perverse view of suffering. I believe suffering is part of the Christian life, but not, not like this. You will be fulfilled as you step into your gifting. The church will be fulfilled as you step into your gifting and God will be fulfilled just in that sense of pleasure of seeing his children, not that he needs anything from us. And we need you to activate that gifting so we together can be everything that God wants us to be as his church at Bentley Baptist. So whether you're younger and still figuring this out or, I don't know, making excuses or whatever lacking confidence, trying to figure out how you can best serve God. Whether you're older and thinking, hey, time for me to step back. I've, I've done my part. Let the younger people have their go. And actually, there is a place for making room for younger people. Sometimes older people can hold on too long. I'm not technically old yet, but I'm heading towards it and I have to start thinking about next generation stuff. God has grace for you, young and old, whether you feel adequate or inadequate, whether you're able or you you suffer from some disability, God has grace for you to partner with him in his work in the church and in the world. Just activate whatever measure of faith he's given you.